JCC. All you volunteers out there, this goes out to you. Holding it down while we fess it up. 24-7-365. Do something about this. This is history, baby. 2000 coming at you. This is happening. This, this is what real. it's all about. Here comes. Hey. We're giving thanks to all our volunteers. Now we giving thanks. Still sleep in their beds. You say, ain't no thanks. See, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Running cable, hanging lights, connecting subs. It's Sunday morning, but we bouncing like we up in the club. Then we all peace out and head off to lunch. But you still gotta tear down and load these trucks while we munch. Pushing carts, lifting cases, and wrapping cords. Drenching sweat like you've been left out in the storm. The dude can clear a whole lot in ten minutes flat. Fill it up again in five. What you think of that? Cause the traffic man stands with his bright orange hands to move a car, flick his wrist, and then stop a van. <laughs> Makes your traffic flows, flows, using orange cones, cones, bundled up and smiling even though it be cold. So when you're rolling in on dubs, he may be covered in mud, but you best believe, son, he'd be serving with love. Church to love another mother's babies. They're more precious than gold, the little ones that you hold. You read them books and play games, cause you know where it's at. Changing diapers, cause you can put up with that. And then head up the hall so you can see how it's all going down. The kids are older, but there's plenty of love to go round. I'm a set of moderate, immaculately polished with the spirit of a hustler and the swagger of a college kid. The yellow shirts got their church on a lockdown. So don't be coming up in here to throw down. You come in the place you want to be safe. And listen to Dave and know there ain't nobody misbehaving. They coming down on trouble like an avalanche. And when they get done, they gonna call for an
Well, good morning, Woo. guys. Unreal. If that didn't wake you up, I don't know what's gonna. Man, welcome to Kenzie. You guys decided to be here? Yes. Yeah. Wow, I don't lively. Know how, I don't know how you guys are feeling about the the winter weather. This is my first Michigan winter. We just came from Vegas. Not used to this. No, it's I, horrible. Should I wear a coat or not? I don't even know what's happening yet. So you should wear a coat. Okay. Yes. All right. I'll wear a coat. Did your mother ever tell you that? Anyways, welcome to Kensington. My name is Richie Christie. I'm our student ministries director, and we're excited to be here with you guys this morning. And my name is Josh Jackson. I'm the worship arts director. And if you are new here, we want to say an extra special welcome, and we're glad you're here. Uh, this is Kensington Shelby campus. There's eight Kensington campuses, but you found yourself here, and we think for a reason. If you are new, we do have a special place for you in the lobby called Starting Point. You can fill out a card and, and give them uh, some information so we can get to know you and we can uh, hopefully grow in community or if you just want to stop by say hi we have a free gift for you we want to uh, just make your first or second or third time here just uh, the best it could be yeah, so definitely check that out. But how many of you guys loved uh, Steve Andrews uh, rapping? Anybody enjoy that? You guys right? hear that little Kind of reminds me of Drake a little bit. A little, a little, little similar. Or like Flava Flav. You guys yeah. know Flava Flav. He, he kind of has Two a Flava Flav vibe. Yes. Uh, yeah, so today we are uh, talking about volunteers. And if you listen to the words of that, that video, it's actually really good. I'm sure it'll be on Kensington's social media this week. But we they go through and thank each uh, service part of the church. And so what I want to do right now, and, and this is going to make some people feel awkward, but I don't care. If you serve and you volunteer here at Kensington, I would ask just for a second, stand up and we just want to say thank you right now. So I know there's some people right here, front row. Yeah, go ahead, stand yeah. up. Yeah. Woo! Seriously, thank you guys so much. MVPs. Thank you. We could not do this without you. I love getting to serve with the band and the tech team and, and the setup and teardown team. That's kind of who I interact with every week. And what I love most is that it has really become a community and a family. And we, we're like brothers and sisters or moms and dads, depending on the age differences. And we <laughs> bicker and we pick on each other. And it's really fun. So I love serving with you guys. So thank you sincerely from me and Richie and the whole church. Yes. Yeah, man, we, we absolutely love that. And hey, if you're sitting here right now and you maybe haven't jumped in to serve and you're like, ah, maybe I should, I'm not sure, I've been feeling the nudge. Today's your day. Uh, we would love to encourage you to jump in uh, on a team. It, it, it's really a place where we know that God moves here on Sunday morning and in the service and he, he speaks to us week after week, but something unique happens uh, when you take what you're learning here and you move it out uh, onto a team. And so we want to invite you to volunteer. So uh, when you walked in, you should have received a card. If you didn't, you can raise your hand and grab one. We'd love for you to fill that out and maybe uh, check off an area that you'd be interested in serving because uh, I'm telling you, it will transform your faith if you do that. Absolutely. There are a few uh, areas that we specifically have needs for. Of course, if there's any area on that card that you're like, man, I really feel like I want to do this and, and maybe the Lord is, is prompting you or you're just like, this could be really fun. Of course, fill that out. Don't worry. You don't have to have ripped jeans or anything to come serve with us. So you have <laughs> out of yours. So we, uh, <laughs> we, we need people for our setup and teardown team. So if you are an early riser and you want to come join me and Brian, some 
of the other tech people, Richie still sleeps about three hours after the the. the but if you want to serve with students <laughs> Sunday night, sleep yeah. in, baby. And then and then our teardown team is separate. That's actually after this service. If you can stay thirty to forty five minutes after, we would love for you to help tear this place down and, and put it back into a school. So it, we turn it into a into a church in the morning and we turn it back into a school in the evening. And then lastly, another one of our more important needs that's happening right now, Julie, uh, back in K Kids, you might know her if you drop your kids off. She told me that usually right now they already have um, all of their K Kids small group leaders um, set, but they're still a little short. And so I know that when I say that, uh, some of you hear that little spark in your head. If you are someone that loves kids or that is excited about kids or excited about the next generation of believers and Christians and just uh, Christ followers, this might be for you. And I, th I think that you can make a huge impact in kids' lives signing up to be a K-Kids small group leader. Definitely. And we've got something awesome coming up here uh, at Kensington. Christmas is one of our favorite times of the year. When is when that? When is that? I'm just kidding. Shut your, shut up. Uh, anyways, we have Christmas, December 25th, Josh didn't know, um, and we need a ton of volunteers for that. Uh, we need people setting up the set and uh, building the set and things like that. We actually, we're, we need a new worship leader too, so the one that way out that. is terrible. Yeah, that guy's really <laughs> bad. Um, yeah, anyways. so if you are willing to do that, you can also sign up for that. So make sure you mark it on your card, and you can drop it in the offering later in service, or if you want even better, go to starting point, even if you're not new but you fill out that card, go to starting point, hand it to someone, and we will make sure we contact you this week and hopefully give you the next steps on how to serve the church. Definitely. So take that next step. But we've got something awesome coming up next weekend as well. One of my favorite weekends of the year. It's baptism weekend coming up next weekend at Kensington. And so Ooh. if you're somebody uh, who, who's maybe been following Jesus and you haven't taken that next step, this is the weekend for you to do that. Uh, so we want to invite you into that. I know a few weeks ago I was with all of our students uh, from all our campuses, about 600 of us up at Spring Hill at Wild, and a ton of students made that decision to follow Jesus. And we're going to see a ton of them next week and make another decision to get baptized. And so uh, if that's you, we'd love for you to do that. And really at Kensington, we just believe baptism is simply just a public declaration of an already made inward decision that, that we're saying, Jesus, I'm following you. We've already made that decision. And baptism is the place where we publicly declare that. And so we would love for you to do that. Uh, so if you want to do that, you can sign up online uh, because that'll be next weekend and it's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. And I do want to add to that. If you are someone that has already been baptized or or, uh, you've been baptized in another church this is a week that you just don't want to miss because it's usually amazing. We had uh, one little story. We've had someone run up from working back in tech and get baptized. It's just really fun energy to invite your friends, invite people uh, to next week because I think the Lord really moves. And so I want to make sure you guys are there. Even if you've already been baptized, it's still worth coming to. And lastly, we have before uh, Christmas. What's the holiday before Christmas? Halloween. Halloween. Yes. No. Thanksgiving is coming. Anybody like Thanksgiving? All right. I'm really excited about Thanksgiving, mostly because last year was the first time I was introduced. I don't know how this happened. I'm 26, but was the first time I was introduced to cranberry sauce on Thanksgiving. It blew my Game mind. Changer. 
It's amazing. <laughs> like, you just put it on everything, and it made everything better. So everything, I'm really but... excited. But if you've been at Kensington for more than – for longer than I have, you've been here for Thanksgiving, you know that every year we do Thanksgiving baskets, and we take them to the community. And we are partnered with our school partner. You've heard us talk about them, West Utica. They actually found 100 families for us to give Thanksgiving baskets to. And the, one of the coolest things about that is just the continuing relationship that we have with West Utica. We just finished our flag football season that we put on uh, for them. We're doing Kaleo Kids in the winter, and we're just getting into those students and the parents' lives more and more, and they're noticing. They're noticing that there are people that want to, because of what Jesus has done in our lives, we want to serve and we want to love on them, and they're noticing. And it's it's been amazing. It's cool to roam the, the school and to hear from the principal and the teachers. And so some of the ways that you can serve with the Thanksgiving baskets at West Utica are, uh, it's actually, you can go online and see, We a lot of times we have drivers. We're full on drivers. So if you go online, you'll see you can come the day before, which is this coming Friday, the 17th, and you can unload the truck. If a bunch of people come, we can get it done real quick. The day of, if you like making food and you want to serve on the hospitality team, we actually provide food for the volunteers that are passing the, the Thanksgiving mask. Extra cranberry sauce oh, for me, please. Exciting. And and then also, if you could and you, and you feel led, you can give financially and to specifically to the Thanksgiving baskets. Each basket costs $50, and we've already raised a lot of money um, for that. I think close to 2000 around that area, which is amazing. So I can't wait to spend my first Michigan Thanksgiving and first Kensington Thanksgiving uh, hopefully blessing others and passing out Thanksgiving baskets. Yeah, so that are some of the next steps you can take. We're going to get going with the rest of today's service. But before we do that, if you would do us a favor and stand up, say hello to a neighbor, and we'll get moving with the rest of today. some background drums music still happening awesome good morning welcome to Kensington my name is Kristen Schumbeck and I'm the campus director at our Shelby campus and I have to tell you something Kensington loves stories you see them often don't you in services red chair stories stories about people's lives people come up and we have people say their teach tell their story often and the reason Kensington loves stories so much is because it points back to Jesus. We get to see how Jesus works in everybody's lives and the way that they are drawn closer to him. And that's why we do what we do every Sunday. And when you give to Kensington, whether it's as a volunteer in your time and your, and, and your Sunday time or even during the week as a small group leader, or whether you give financially, you are investing in people's lives. And I want you to hear Roma's story this morning as an example of just exactly that. The first time uncontrollable crippling panic overtook me was in the fall of 2008. I knew in my gut that something was wrong, but little did I know that this would be the start of years and years of mentally excruciating pain. It was in this moment that I decided to leave my faith as a Hindu. It didn't make any sense to me why the loving Hindu gods would let me suffer so much, especially at such a young age. 
It never really felt like I could cast any of my worries upon those gods, and so I labeled myself as either an agnostic or an atheist, depending on the day. Throughout high school and my early years of college, I battled with crippling anxiety disorders. Though my mind felt numb and paralyzed from the pain, I was able to fake the functioning for a while. I went through my teen years always in a funk, a fog, a disconnection. The very disconnection I felt from the Hindu gods and myself was the same disconnect I felt from myself and the world. I felt hopeless and alone. My freshman year of college, a girl named Priscilla was assigned to be my lab partner in a science class. We got to talking and started to build a friendship. I opened up about my anxiety to her, and it was the first time I ever heard someone say to me, me too. She asked if she could share a Bible verse with me that helps her during her times of anxiety. My initial thought was that she was just another one of those Christians who was trying to convert me, but I figured that I would go ahead and let her have a chance. The verse she shared with me was 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. In that moment, I felt a rush through my body. It was like I could feel something, despite all of the fog. Over time, Priscilla kept pursuing me. The love of Christ I experienced from her led me to eventually give my own life to Christ. Kensington became a part of my life when my friend got married and moved away. I realized that my faith was more so just an extension of her faith, and I wanted to find my own relationship with Christ. Last year, I struggled with my worst bout of anxiety to date. With agoraphobia, which is the name of my disorder, most people have their safe space that they don't want to leave. For most people, it's their home or their room. For a reason still completely inexplicable, my safe place became my car. I couldn't leave. For almost an entire year, I had to drop out of class and quit working in order to pursue full-time car living. Everyday tasks became such a huge battle. I remember days where it took me hours to leave my car just to take a shower. Though I couldn't go to school and I couldn't go into stores or even sometimes step foot into my own living room, I was able to go to every single church service on a Sunday. Whenever I was at Kensington, I felt safe. Whether it was an 1829 worship event or a noon service on a Sunday, I felt the Holy Spirit so strongly whenever I would be inside the walls of Kensington. The first time I went to a Sunday service, I remember sitting next to a girl named Renee. When Steve Andrews told us to shake hands with the person sitting next to us, I shook hands with her. She gave me the most welcoming smile and asked me if I was new. She told me about small groups and gave me her phone number, saying that she would be available if I ever had any questions. Time went on and I continued to grow in my own personal faith. I began to know what it was truly like to be loved by Jesus. Earlier this year, I decided to publicly declare my faith to everyone. I got baptized in March and decided that there was no turning back this time. Because Jesus has healed me, I no longer need the car for safety. I just need him. Thanks to him, I'm back in school and set to graduate in December. Thanks to him, I'm working again. Thanks to him, I have a community of supportive friends from Kensington, all the way from 1829 to celebrate recovery friends and more. But above all, thanks to him, I have a place to cast my anxiety because I know he cares for me.
I love knowing Roma, and I love what Jesus Christ has done in her life. And as I'm listening to her story, I'm just praying that even today there are people that are listening to her story that are finding hope that Jesus Christ actually really cares for you too. You know, that's why we do weekend services. That's why we do the Celebrate Recovery where people are breaking the hole that anxiety and crippling addiction has had in their life. That's why we have started an incredible 1829 ministry for these young people that are learning to engage with God and follow Him and serve Him with their lives. Do you realize that when you give to Kensington, you give to stories like Roma's. You give to see people get free from what's holding them back, from being fully what Jesus Christ has intended them to be. And so this year in, uh, I'm actually challenging you, inviting you and challenging you to make a year-end Christmas gift to Kensington. It's what I'm going to do because, honestly, I believe it's worth my life. I believe it's worth everything I've got, and I believe it's worth your life, too. I mean, honestly, what better investment could we make in our lives than seeing stories like Roma's take root in this world? I have to agree with Steve. It is true. And it's interesting because Roma's story didn't happen at our Shelby campus. But there are so many stories that I get to hear regularly of people whose lives have been changed through Jesus, not through anything magic that we do, but Jesus calling them and using our campus as a, as a means to transform and mobilize their life closer to who he is. And it's our privilege, isn't it, to be able to give and be a part of that? Because when you invest, just like Steve said, you are investing in a, in a church, but really you're investing in people. And when you do that, this is the fun part. God takes your investment and he multiplies it. He multiplies it. Brennan, a guy who works in our tech department now, he's a volunteer back here. He showed up several, several months ago at 8 o'clock in the morning in our lobby. And I was out there setting up, and I'm like, hi. And he's like, here, I'm, I'm ready to go to church. Where's the auditorium? And I'm like, uh, it's in an hour and a half, buddy. <laughs> so here, take a table, and let's put a table cover over it. Like, literally, he jumped into setting up with me that day, and we talked. And his story is so amazing because when he was at his lowest point, he called out Jesus. It was the only name he knew, and he felt a peace that made no sense. And that Jesus drove him into our doors in a very short time after that moment. And from then, that moment, he's gotten involved, he's been baptized, he's on a serving team, and he's even practicing sharing his faith, his story, with other people. That's at our campus. So it's really sweet what God is doing. So thank you. I'm going to just thank you in advance for your time and your resources that you have given to Shelby Campus and to Kensington at large. It's made a huge difference in people's lives. So today we're starting a new series. It's called... Questions Jesus Asked. I almost forgot for a minute. Questions Jesus Asked. And the reason we're starting that series is because Jesus asked about 130 questions during the time he walked on earth that we have recorded in the Bible. Now, I'm sure he asked a few other questions like, Mom, what time is dinner? Like, that's probably something he asked, right? But that's not recorded in the Bible. And in the scriptures, the questions that he asked, I like to think of them as a question with an arrow attached to it. Because the question always seemed to shoot straight to the heart of the matter. Whether it was a cultural issue, whether it was a human person's story, it just went right to the heart of the people that he was speaking to. So we decided to create a series out of three of those questions that we felt like were super important for this time in our life, this season of the holidays that makes sense. And today's 
service is entitled, Why Do You Judge? And you're like, all right, that has nothing to do with Thanksgiving. And I'm going to say, oh, yes, it does. Because you're already thinking of who you're going to have to sit next to at the Thanksgiving table, aren't you? You're already thinking, oh, I hope such and such, Uncle Fred, I hope he's down at the end with my mom or my dad or whatever, my sister. I hope I don't have to sit next to him. Because we do that. We all judge. We either judge whether you're inside the church, whether you're outside the church. We all judge, and we have all experienced being judged, haven't we? Have you ever been in a situation where somebody has called you out on something or said something about you that you think, my gosh, that isn't even true. Did you even talk to me? Do you even understand the full context? And you, and you have felt the feelings, maybe shame, maybe embarrassment, maybe you want to run, maybe you want to fight, of being judged unfairly. We've all been in those moments, and I'm sure there's memories popping in your head, and there's names popping into your head as well. We created a video this week about, about that exact thing. And the people in this video are not drama actors. They're not are in our drama team, and they're not professional actors. They're actually people that have all experienced the effects, the crushing effects, really, of being judged unfairly at different points in their lives. One of them, Jenna, she's deaf. And she was a part of the deaf community for years and then was able to get a surgery that gave her the ability to partially hear. And she feels like she doesn't fit into either community actually fully and as a result has felt judged by both communities. Another girl, her name is Libby, she's a teenage mom, got pregnant in high school and had a baby. And to this day, she still gets texts from her friends and even teachers from that school calling her a whore. Isn't that awful? And also Madison, who's this beautiful blonde girl. And she stepped into an engineering program in college. And the first day in the class, some kids stood up and said, what is Barbie doing in this class? Did you get lost? It's amazing the effects of judging. Watch this video. I know I made some mistakes, but point to the person who hasn't. I bet when I walk away, you say all sorts of stuff about me. Some of it may be true, but I bet a lot of what you say isn't. I try not to get upset by being judged or criticized, but it's hurtful. Do you even know the hurts from my past? Whatever I've done in my life so far, whether right or wrong. There is probably a reason. How would you know? Maybe I just need to be loved. No matter what you say. You're bankrupt without love. Love doesn't give up. Love cares more for others than self.
song inspiring isn't that what we want right we want to be that way we want to love people we want them to look at us and see Jesus in the way we treat them but I would say if you're anything like me that's not how we live our lives at least that's not how I live my life I remember feeling the effects of being judged when I was about 11 years old my parents got divorced and we went to a small uh, not really small actually relatively large Baptist church And I remember where the people sat in church kind of was your ranking in the church. And I remember we kind of moved from being kind of one of the people in the front of the church that were the people that served or the people that gave more money to having to, not having, we chose, to sit in the balcony, kind of in the back. And I remember realizing at that point there was an invisible line in our church for the people that were in the in crowd and the people that were on the fringes. And instantly I felt in my heart that I was a fringe player. I wasn't the same. I wasn't good enough. And I felt that. And I'm not the only one that has felt that in moments of our lives. I know everyone in this room has had a moment where we feel like we're less than everyone else as a result of being judged. And I have to tell you that it's a hard place to be. And that Christ has rules and, and a setup in the Bible that will help us understand what this looks like in our lives and how to live this out. And some of you are in the room saying, oh, Kristen, I'm so open-minded. I don't judge anybody. Like, I, that's, you get that, but I'm, I'm really great. I'm not. I'm not like that. And I'm going to ask you a question. Do you ever gossip? I mean, I was really upset to find out in my research that gossiping is a form of judging. Who knew? But that's real. You're judging someone. And you don't even have the strength to tell them to their face. Do you gossip? What about correction? Do you take correction kindly? Do you listen to correction? Or do you immediately put up a wall and judge? Correction. And if you don't think judging is something that is pervasive in our society, all we have to do is remember what happened last Sunday in Sutherland Springs, Texas, right? Because when judging sets in our heart, when we begin to take on an attitude and a lifestyle of judging other people, 
It can take root and all sorts of things can happen up to and including taking the lives of some other people who are innocent. So we need to hear what Jesus says about this. We need to spend time today talking about this and examining our own lives and our own hearts and rooting out anything in it that pulls us into that mode of judging and away from Jesus' desire, like the song mentioned. So before we start, I'm just going to take a minute and we're going to pray. Jesus, I just pray today that you settle our spirits. Lord, that we leave the grocery lists and the holiday preparations at home out of our minds right now, Lord, and we focus on you. We see you. Prepare our hearts and our minds, Lord, that we would hear what you have to tell us today. In your name I pray, amen. We're going to receive our offering right now. If you are new, this moment is not for you. Thank you for coming, but you can sit back and relax and let this offering bag go right by you. But if you call Kensington home, and this is a time for you to give back out of gratefulness for all the Lord has given you. And I do want to just tie in, because I think this is so important, that when you give to Kensington, when you put money in that bag today, you are investing in people's lives. It's a really cool opportunity to do that. So we're going to receive our offering um, during this time. So I think the Bible speaks to three different points when it comes to judging. Today we're going to walk through what, that sa- what the Bible says and the three points that I feel Scripture supports and teaches us about judging. And the first point is that Christians are never called to judge outsiders, but instead we are called to judge insiders. So Christians are never to judge outsiders, but instead we are to judge insiders. What does that mean? It's kind of code language. But what that means is that if we are Christ followers, if we are churchgoers or people that are trying to figure out whether we go to church or not, our faith, and we want to be under the authority of Jesus Christ and his scripture, his inerrant scripture in our lives, if we believe that, then we are a part of the church or believers. That's the definition of that. We are on the, I'm going to use that as inside in this conversation. And we are called in the scripture, to to keep each other accountable, to walk together, to confess our sins one to another, to link arms on this journey, because it's a tough, arduous journey. The road is narrow to follow Jesus. It's different than what society and the world tells us. So we are called to link arms and to hold one another accountable and to walk together. But we are clearly, as believers, not to judge those who don't believe or don't agree to the same faith that we have. So here, let me read you some scripture around this. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 12. What business of it is mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. God will judge those outside. That's his job. That's not my job. It's kind of like this. If you have a family in your house, right, and your kids are not doing their homework or not cleaning up their rooms, right, as a parent, you're going to look at them and say, go do your homework right now. Drop what you're doing, get off your phones, get off the Netflix, and go and do your homework now, right? And if your child looks at you and says, mom, don't judge me, I'm going to say I don't care, right? Anybody been there? I don't care if you feel judged. Go do what I tell you to do. See, that's kind of like what it is within the church. We, I don't go to your home, to your kids, when they're not doing their homework or whatever, and I don't get in there at dinner time and say, hey, I need to fix this problem in your family. I'm going to call your kids out. 
No, it's an internal deal, right? We judge our own families. That's very similar to the church, the way God has set it up. We are to call each other to accountability. We are to walk alongside each other. We are to discuss areas of improvement that we need to have as brothers and sisters in Christ among ourselves. It's family talk. Very similar to what you do around the kitchen table. But those who are not inside the family, those are God's, that's God's domain. That's not our domain. That's his to judge, not us. So if we are called to judge and to call into account other believers in Christ, how do we do it? How do we do it? Because that's also defined. It's super important to understand. In Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5, it says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure that you and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So what's that saying? The way you judge, the way you act toward others the same will come back to you. What you give out, you will also get. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? See, that's the main question we ask. When we say, why do we judge? We're paraphrasing this proportion of scripture. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust? Why do you look at this little speck of sawdust in somebody else's eye when you have this huge plank in your own eye. It's kind of a weird setup. It's kind of a strange conversation that Jesus is having. But when you think about it, it's not. You see, as Christians, what do we do? Even with, even with people in our own family, we're walking around going like this. Hey, hey, you've got a problem over there. Hey, stop doing that. I'm going to fix you, right? It looks ridiculous. Doesn't that look ridiculous? Yes, you can laugh. It looks ridiculous. But that's what we do. When we have a big, huge issue in our own lives, we're trying to get to somebody's little tiny issue in their lives. How does this happen? This is so obvious. It's so ridiculous. It doesn't even make sense. How does it happen? It happens all the time. Because we are so bent on looking at other people's mistakes and sins, especially the people I'd say that we're closest to. Especially the people we live with. We're so bent on trying to fix them and help them. We're going to help you that we never take a look at our own lives. I can't begin to tell you how many times I have snapped at my husband in a moment publicly. And my children, I would say especially my daughter, has called me out later and said, Wow, you just did that last week, remember? The exact same thing you yelled at dad about today? And I'm complete. No, I didn't. I so did not. I would never do that. Isn't it crazy how we can ignore the planks in our own lives, the sins that we have in our own lives? I'm going to finish the scripture. Verse 4. And how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. That's me. You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck in your brother's eye. Galatians 6.3, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. I was thinking about this scripture, and I was kind of working, when I was working on the message this week, and this really hit me. 
I think about the process of taking planks out of our lives, out of our eyes, out of our lives. If plank represents a sin in our life, what is the process? What do you have to go through in your own life to get rid of it? You have to go through humility, don't you? You have to go through repentance. You have to have some time with the Lord. You have to step into a place where you agree with him more than you agree with yourself. Yes, God, your way is better than my way. Yes, God, your plan is better than my plan. Yes, God, I will not snap at my husband. I will not lose my temper because that is not your way. That is not your plan. So, God, I'm repenting of that, and I'm telling you I am sorry. But I'm also telling you that it's going to happen in five minutes if you don't help me. Right? I need you every minute. So there's dependence. There's intentional dependence daily on him to keep this plank from growing back in your eye. And I thought about that. And I thought about that process and how that process uniquely prepares you to help someone else with the same plank. See, there's a big difference when I haven't struggled with something and I look at you and I'm like, dude, I'm just telling you your issue with X, Y, and Z, you better fix it. But if I have struggled with something, if it has been my own angst, if it has been something that I have wrestled with God and I know how difficult it is to work on, I'm going to sound very different, aren't I? It's going to be more like, Jim, dude, I care about you. I care about you so much and I understand what you're going through because that's my story. And I want to save you from what I have experienced. The consequences of sin, by the way, every single time it's true, divide you from others. There's division in your life. There's walls that get put up between you and God as well. And always, always, always leads to destruction in some form. And that's the thing you don't know when you're young, right? It all looks so fun. It's so inviting. It looks awesome. But when you've lived a few years, you begin to realize that what looked really cool at 20 isn't so cool at 50. Because you've paid the consequences. You've walked the road. You understand the pain, the loneliness, the depression, the fear. You understand the, the words that you begin to say in your own mind about yourself, the lies that you begin to believe. All of that begins to make sense, doesn't it? When you've walked down that path. So the actual act of removing the plank, of coming into humility before God, changes your approach to the person that you're discussing their own sin issue with. Completely. You see, Scripture also tells us that when we approach Someone who has sin in their life because we are called to walk together, link arms, right? When you approach someone, you're supposed to use both grace and truth. So what does that look like? What does that look like? Point three, Jesus was full of truth and grace and the church is at its best when it embraces both and refuses to let go of either. See, grace says you're forgiven. You're fine. Everything's okay. Don't worry about it. And truth says you're accountable. You're broken. You messed up and you need to do something about it. So get to work. In John 1 verse 14, Jesus is, we are told in this scripture that Jesus was both truth and grace. He was both. The word, meaning Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. 
full of complete embodiment of 100% grace and 100% truth. That's who Jesus was. Out of his fullness, we have received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses and grace and truth through Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus Christ was both. That's why when he asked the questions he asked so many times in scripture, he was both. It was truth. That's why the arrow went right to the heart. But there was grace and love around it, the way he asked the questions. And we are called to do the same. And I have a little matrix that I thought I'd throw up here behind me and I'd walk through it with you. Because we have tendencies. Let me just say this. We have tendencies toward one or the other. Everyone in the room, you're going to have a tendency. You're either going to be a grace person or you're going to be a truth teller. It's going to be kind of more natural to your personality. We're, we're wired in one direction or another, typically. I am the grace person in our home. There is no question if the kids are having a problem with somebody, they're going to want me alongside them because I'm the grace person. There's no question that Paul, he's an attorney, he fights for justice, is the truth teller. Right? He's going to call it out. He's going to tell you what you need to do when you've made a mistake. Thank God. But both, the combination of both is who Jesus was, and that's what we need to strive to become. Truly, let me rephrase that. We never need to strive. We need to lean on Jesus and his power to become that in our lives when we're talking to others and we're calling them um, accountable in areas of their lives where there's sin. So let me go through this quadrant. So here's how it works. Last time I pretty much messed it up, so I got to look at it. <laughs> if you are in a situation, look at that, high grace on the top. Let me, let me go backwards. On the low grace on the bottom, if you are in a situation, you see the box that says unloved? That, that is low grace and low truth. If people don't give you grace, don't have empathy for you, haven't walked in your shoes, haven't traveled along that path, but they're judging you, or they, haven't, they don't even care enough to tell you the truth, they just let you go, you're not connected at all. You feel unloved. There's nothing good in that situation. Low grace, low truth. You're not connected at all with the person in relationship, nor are you hearing good truth. You feel alone and unloved. Let's flip over to the other side. If you have high truth and low grace, if you're a person that naturally is like, hey, this is the way it should be. Fix it. Get better. Figure it out. Do your homework. I don't want to hear any stuff. Just go do your homework. Don't talk to me about it. That's a high truth person, but low grace. Right? And sometimes I'm in that situation with my kids, believe me. But when you're in that situation, you feel judged. You don't feel like any, like, that's like, what? Seriously? You don't even know my story. You don't know how I'm feeling. You don't know my struggles. And you're just telling me to fix myself? Good luck. Right? That's how you feel. If you are in a high grace, if you're a high grace person and a low truth person, that's me. I enable the crap out of my children. No question. Of course it's not your fault, honey. It was a teacher's fault. Of course I'll do your homework. Do you want an A or a B on it? You know? It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. That's my natural way. I would tell the teachers. I'm like, you like that science project? I did it. And you gave me a B minus. I think I deserve an A. I would get in fights with the teachers at science fair. I'm not kidding. I was offended. I'm like, I cut those exact size that you said in your syllabus. It's horrible. Horrible. But in a situation like that, you're enabling, you're not helping anyone, are you? You're not helping anyone. The best place to be is high grace and high truth, the, fr the right top quadrant. That is someone who is speaking truth. You need to do your science project. And if you have questions, come and talk to me and we'll work on that together. Right? High grace, high truth combined. 
And that's who Jesus was. And that's what he asks us to be in our own lives with others. That's the way that we talk to other believers, those inside the church, those who believe the same thing we believe, right? That's the way that we do that. High grace and high truth. And that's why I think it's so interesting when I think about this plank and I think about the stuff in our own lives that we don't see, that when we go through the process of removing these with Jesus' help, when we lean on him and we ask him to help us and we, and we again repent and in humility we walk through this process, grace and truth go hand in hand. It's natural because we've been it. We've been through it. We've experienced that through Jesus and in our walk with him. One of the best stories in the Bible well, that talk about both grace and truth is a woman who was caught in adultery. I think this story depicts both so well. John 8, starting in verse 2. At dawn he, and this is Jesus, at dawn Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery and they made her stand before the group. So here's a picture of a woman who's caught in adultery. She's probably thrown maybe a blanket, maybe naked in front of Jesus at his feet. He's in the temple courts and that's basically the hub of all community in the Hebrew culture at the time. There would be priests there. There would be sacrifices happening. Outside the temple courts was where all the shopping was done. This is a place where intellectuals of the, of the community, people that were known, the influencers would hang out in any Hebrew culture. And the Pharisees took this woman and threw her at Jesus' feet. You have to think for a moment how awful that is. How awful that must have felt for her. What that looked like. So that's the grace side, right? But here's the justice, the truth side. She was caught in sin that was probably hurting many, many, many people. So both were happy at the same time, and Jesus knew everything. So here the Pharisees throw this woman before the group, and they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And in the law, this is the law, by the way, Jesus, the law of Moses that you gave Moses, remember that, Jesus, that you say you're the son of God? Well, God gave Moses the law. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. See, it was a trap, but at the end of the day, it didn't matter. The people around knew that there was a woman caught in adultery at the foot of Jesus. What are you going to do, Jesus? Jesus bent down and did what anybody would do in that situation, right? This is normal. And started to write on the ground with his finger. All right, that is not normal. That isn't even close. I'm like, what are you doing, Jesus? What is going on? We really don't know what Jesus is actually writing because scripture doesn't tell us. But theologians have debated and studied this scripture for a long period of time. And there are two possible things that Jesus could have been writing in the ground, but we really don't know. One is it could have been the names of all the people standing around, all the Pharisees and all the people. Two is it could have been the sins of the people that were standing around because something very interesting happens in the next part of the scripture. The Pharisees, when they kept questioning him, he straightened up and said, 
Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Let any one of you who is without sin, let any one of you who doesn't have a plank in your eye, go ahead. You'll be the first. You'll be the first to come and tell the person about the speck in their own eye. Let any one of you without a plank go ahead, throw the stone, judge away. That threw everybody off. And those, at this point, verse 9, those who heard him began to go away one at a time. And this is what's interesting. This is what is so interesting that's recorded in scripture. The older ones first. See, because this is the deal. When you've lived life for a few years, when you've gone down some journeys, you're really, really self-aware of some of the stuff you've done, the mistakes you've made, and the consequences you have physically, emotionally, and even spiritually paid for them. You're aware of that stuff. And Jesus in his kindness isn't calling out. I mean, seriously, this has happened in my home. My boys have fought and one of them has yelled at the other other for the exact same thing that that person does all the time. And I'm not nearly as nice as Jesus writing in the ground. I'm like, what are you thinking? You hypocrite. You just did that last week, right? But not Jesus. In his grace and in his kindness, he writes in the ground. And the older ones leave first. Until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Go now and leave your life of sin. Here's the grace. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus says. That's the grace. That's the grace. Neither do I condemn you. And go and leave your life of sin. Repent. Humble yourself before me and change. Follow me instead of yourself. Follow my plan for your life. Let go of the garbage and follow me. Grace. I don't condemn you. Truth. Leave your life of sin. You know, I find it so ironic when this verse was talking about planks and basically was assimilating our sin in our life to a plank coming out of our eyes. That Jesus Christ himself was nailed to two planks. Two planks. The stuff that we hold on to, the sin in our lives, that's the whole reason Jesus came. He was nailed to some planks. How much more so as he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, as he was on that cross and he looks down at us bickering and hitting each other with our planks. That's not the design he had for us. Instead, give your plank to Jesus and humble yourself at his feet and lovingly encourage your brother or sister in Christ to do the same thing, walk to freedom together because that's his plan for you and for me we're going to end this service in communion in a few minutes but in my own life I have experienced multiple times where I have had 
huge, huge planks in my life that I was trying to fix other people. I mean, pound Jesus into other people. And I was hitting them across the head with a board, really. That's what I was doing. And in the last few years, I've spent time with Jesus in the morning, and I have really asked him consistently, God, what do I need to repent of? What, Lord, what? What is the plank in my life, Lord? What is it that's in the way? What is causing me not to be able to see you clearly or to see others clearly the way you want me to? What do I need to give up, Jesus? What is the plank? So I start a lot of my mornings asking him, Lord, what do I need to repent of? Some days I know it, man. Some days I know what I did. And some days I sit with him and I say, Jesus, what is it you want me to talk to you about today? And one day, a little while ago, he... He said, Chris, now, this thought in my head popped in my head. Chris, I want you to repent of your false God of other people's approval. I'm like, that's kind of weird. What's that about? So I sat there in my prayer chair, and I just prayed, and I was processing through some scripture, and, and I began to realize what he was saying to me was, Kristen, you put other people's opinion of you higher than mine. You work to please other people more than you work to please me. You work in your job for the title and for the success so that people will know you and you don't care what I have for you. Kristen, you have given them my authority in your life. You have let them have the authority that is mine. And you have run down that road for many, many years. And I want you to come to me with that and I want you to give it to me. So I did something that I do often in my prayer time is I actually imagine the face of Jesus. I close my eyes and I imagine him standing in front of me. Fix your eyes on Jesus. It says in scripture to do that. And so I did. And I just have a picture in my head. It's my own picture. And I picture Jesus standing in front of me. And I said, all right, Lord, I hear you. I'm going to hand you this. This is a hard one, Lord, because it's like I don't even know where it begins and where it ends. It's so deeply rooted in my life. But I'm going to start, Lord, today. I'm going to hand it to you. So I picture Jesus in front of me, and I picture my hands out. I'm standing in front of him, and I have my hands out, and I'm like, all right, I don't hear Jesus, like, here. And as I looked down in the picture, I saw in my hands was the dagger. And the dagger was a beautiful, beautiful dagger. It was encrusted with, like, jewels, ancient jewels that had history behind them. And the blade came out from that dagger and curved around and it was jagged and it was wicked. And I'm like, oh, what the heck is that? Like in my head, I'm like, why why did Jesus, why are you showing me that? Or why is my head, my imagination going to that? What am I doing? And I felt like he said, Kristen, this is exactly what this sin is in your life. Every time you run to other people, it's like jewels. It's beautiful. And you have a history of doing it, right? And you run after them for their approval and you do all sorts of things to try to get their approval. And every single time you do, it cuts you like a knife. It cuts off relationship with me. It cuts off relationship with your family and friends that you put second so that you can get ahead. Every single time you chase after this knife, it looks beautiful from the distance, but it cuts you to the quick. And I hate it. Because I love you. So I am giving him, okay, here's this thing. Like I'm imagining all this is all just the way I talk with Jesus. It's in my head. And I'm imagining, I I just hear Jesus take it. 
And I see him in my picture stomping on it. It's like smithereens. It's at his feet. He's stomping on it, but he's kind of angry. And I'm like, oh, see, that's what happens. I knew it. I'm just a mess. I knew, God, that I always sin and you get mad at me and I'm afraid of you now. I was getting freaked out. And I felt this presence. And I felt like the Lord was saying to me, Kristen, no, 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 don't you understand? It's because I love you that I am mad. I hate this garbage in your life. I hate the planks that you think make you important. I hate this because it hurts you. So I will speak truth to you, Kristen. I'm going to tell you day and day and day again and again, get rid of your planks. Get rid of them because I love you. Because I died to free you of this. Because through me and my strength, through the Holy Spirit, you can fight this fight and you will have victory. But you have to choose. You have to choose this day whom you will serve. Will it be you or will it be me, Kristen? What are you going to do? And I think of that story and I realize the incredible love that Jesus had for me because as he was jumping up and down on that dagger and I realized what it symbolized to him, I worshiped him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you love me enough that you will speak truth into my life. And thank you, Jesus, that you love me enough that you will give me grace and walk alongside me every day when I call out to you for help in this area where I am weak. Because in my weakness, your strength abounds. So thank you, Jesus. So as we take communion now, you'll get um, both elements, juice and bread. They symbolize Jesus Christ, his work on the cross, his work on these planks, right? That's what it is. It's his death on the cross, his body that was broken for you and for me. He took the punishment we deserved for all of our planks. And his blood, which makes us white as snow, purifies us, sanctifies us. It backwards, it doesn't make sense. You think of blood as something that stains. But Jesus Christ's blood purifies us and sanctifies us and makes us white as snow. We can approach him today with confidence because he understands. He's lived on this earth. He understood and has lived through rejection. He has lived through rejection that you and I can't even understand. But that's been his story because out of great love for us, he chose that cross and he would do it again. So spend some time with Jesus when you get these elements Spend some time with him. Pray to him. Ask him what you need to remove. What have you been blind to? And then as you go through the process of removing those planks, ask him, Lord, who do I need to put my hand next to, my arm around, and walk with them along the same journey, Lord?
and adored by the creator of this world who came in the form of Jesus Christ, a person, out of love for you and for me to restore relationship that was broken. So this week, it's a good week. We have Thanksgiving around the corner, but let's love one another. Let's speak truth and grace to one another this week. Next week, we're talking about gratitude and baptisms are happening. Best service I think we ever do are our baptism services, so please come and join us. We look forward to seeing you, and if you're interested in volunteering, head out to the info desk. We'd love to get your name and number and contact you soon. Have a great week.